Father's Day to everybody in the room here, all the dads. Uh, I think we can all probably identify a little bit with uh, certain dads in that video. And by now, being a dad is one of the uh, most you know, rewarding things, uh, also one of the most tiring and maddening things that I've done, but it's uh, such a blessing from God to allow us to uh, raise our children. And uh, today we want to take a special moment to just uh, honor our dads and thank our dads. And uh, so for all of our dads here in the room today, we have a special gift for you when you leave the auditorium. Here's a table set up with books and CDs, just different ways that you can uh, invest in your relationship with God and help kind of grow in your relationship with him. So we want to give that free gift for you today. Also, if there's any single dads who are raising kids here this morning, we want to do a little something extra special for you. And there's a card at that table that you can fill out, and uh, you can circle whether you want a free oil change, haircut, or a Von Hansen's meets gift certificate. So we just want to do something a little extra for all of our single dads in the room today. So stop by the table, grab the free gift, but also fill that card out before you leave today. And before we continue here, would you all join me in a word of prayer as we say a special prayer of blessing over all of our dads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you've designed what a family is supposed to look like and the specific role you've ordained a father to play in the life of his child. I thank you for the men who are leading according to your ways and the ones who are laying their lives down for your purposes. Would you continue to give them all they need to father their children the way you desire? For the one who has lost a child, bring comfort. For the one who is estranged from their child, bring restoration of the relationship. For the one who feels overwhelmed, would you remind them that you are their help, their guide, their source of all that they need? We pray for the single fathers, whether they're raising their children alone or even if they're doing the best they can with the time they have. I pray for strength, protection, wisdom, and discernment to help them through whatever trials they may be facing. Help us as dads to continue to follow you as our ultimate guide and example. May our children grow to know you and love you, and may they see that same relationship in each one of us. As fathers, we humble ourselves and declare that we need you, God, in every single way. I pray that you'll continue to use these men to lead their families and other men for your glory and for eternal impact. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on this Father's Day weekend. Um, we've been working through this series called Bulletproof, and this is our third week in it. And I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of our weeks together, go ahead and hop online go ahead and watch one of those two videos. Um, it would be a great way for you to catch up with just what we've talked about and what it means to be prepared for spiritual attacks that come our way. But in the first week, Ryan talked about how we, every follower of Jesus fights this battle, and it's called evil, and that evil is real, and it's something more than we as humans can cure. And to be clear, Jesus talked about a literal devil and literal evil that really wants to destroy our lives. And there's a verse that we've talked about the last two weeks, but we're going to share it again, we're going to share it next week, and it's this in John 10.10. 10. It says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says this, these are his words, he says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life, and not just partial life, not just half life, not just like 90%, but they would have it to the full. And that's what he wants for you, and that's what he wants for me, that we would have life to the full. You see, there are many ways that the enemy tries to do this, tries to steal things from us. So understanding that the enemy of our soul wants to take you and me out, we have to figure out what we're going to do about that. How are we going to protect ourselves? And that's what this series is all about. And throughout this series, we're looking at a passage of a scripture, part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he really tells us kind of step by step how we can prepare ourselves, how we can protect ourselves from these spiritual attacks. And we're going to read that together this morning. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And your very first feeling here this morning is that there is a spiritual battle taking place for our minds and hearts. And the warning is this, that we need to be prepared. That's the warning, that we need to be prepared. And that's why Paul gives us this list of ways for us to be prepared. You see, it's obvious from this passage that during Paul's time in prison, he became well acquainted with the armor worn and carried by the Roman army. And it's this mental picture that Paul uses as a metaphor for the spiritual battle we are in. So if you've missed it in the last few weeks, I'll introduce you to our friend Roman. And while he's not dressed as a Roman soldier, he is dressed in armor nonetheless. And this is a picture of what it looks like to be in full armor. Last week we talked about the belt of truth, like we just read about. And really what this means is we're accepting and embracing the truth of who God says we are. And we're allowing that to be our truth and that to guide us. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And what it means to guard our hearts. What it means to make right choices. To protect the things that God is doing in our lives. And how this is the foundation for everything that God wants to build in us. And it's so important that we understand these first few things, because really everything we talk about is going to build on top of truth. It's going to build on top of righteousness. And see, this week we're going to focus on the next two things that Paul talks about here and what it looks like to put on to defeat the enemy of our life. And like we shared last week, God's not saying, go find these things. Make them up. Become these things. No, he's saying, put on the things I've already given you. I've given you the truth. I've given you the righteousness. I've given you peace. I've given you faith. It's not something you need to go out and attain or find, but I've given it to you. Simply put it on. And as we talk about peace this morning, peace can be one of those things that is very elusive. I don't know about you, but I know sometimes in life, any little thing can sometimes upset the peace, whether it's at home, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's just personally. But peace can be elusive because then all of a sudden, life throws you a curveball. Something at work didn't go right. A relationship is broken. You get a bad diagnosis. Suddenly that peace is fleeting. And it's elusive. And I know there was a time a few years ago, uh, we were preparing for Christmas Miracle Sunday, which is one of the biggest events we do here at Riverway. It's my favorite Sunday of the year. It's a day where we bless local uh, families in need, single parents, community organizations. Uh, What we try to do is find families who are in a crisis mode. And we try to do all we can to lift them out of that situation and help put them on a new path. And we've provided cars for people who are in need. We've helped people with housing. In this particular year, we're trying to help a homeless dad find a new home for him and his children. And we had worked hard and hard. Like we've been, you know, we have about six weeks to try to put all this together, which is just chaotic. We finally thought we had it all figured out. We had a rental home in Coon Rapids all lined up. We're like, hey, this is the week of, but hey, we finally did it. Kind of big exhale. All of a sudden, all right, some peace came over us. Fast forward to Thursday that week, which was only a few days before our event, and the person renting that home decided he didn't want to rent it out anymore. And suddenly, five to six weeks of work is out the window. And in that moment, the peace that I had felt during the week was gone. It's elusive. 
And I remember going into the office one morning and just felt so defeated. And obviously it wasn't like it was any one of our responsibilities to make this thing happen. We're just going the way that God has called us to do. But in that moment, it was like, God, how could this happen so soon before this day? And it really seemed like hope was lost. So then what we did is that we threw it out on uh, Facebook, which any smart thing would do, and we just asked people for help. We said, hey, we need your help. And we got some different leads, and we got in touch with a lady who had a rental home right here in Champlin. And long story short, everything fell in place, and the day before our event, we signed paperwork to have this home for this family. And it was so powerful to see that in the midst of the crazy circumstances, when it seemed like all hope was lost, God was saying, trust me. And that's where our peace comes from. Our peace is not in our circumstances, and our peace is not in what God, uh, what, we, what we see, but what God sees. And so he's saying, peace is found in trusting me. Though it may seem fleeting and elusive, when you trust me, peace follows that. But the truth is that the devil knows this as well. And your next feeling here is that the devil knows that he, if he can undermine our peace, he can undermine our life. If he can steal our peace, he can steal our very lives. And maybe you are facing something right now that is undermining your peace. And because of it, you can't enjoy life. You can't focus on what's ahead. It has you retreating. And as a follower of Jesus, there is an answer to finding and maintaining this peace. And we read it earlier, but we're going to read it again. Ephesians 6.15. It says, Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Albert Barnes' notes on the Bible tells us that the sandals of Roman soldiers often were worn with fitted with nails or armed with spikes to make the hold firm in the ground. So it's kind of like the earliest version of cleats is that they had. They had spikes or nails on them. And really, this helped them. No matter what the ground would look like, no matter what the conditions were, it helped them to hold their ground and to stand firm. So the same thing is true of this peace. When our peace is found in Jesus and not our circumstances, it helps us to stand our ground and to stand firm when circumstances come our way that we're not even ready for. But because we have that peace, we're able to stand firm. So you see, Paul is using this example of how Roman here gets his feet planted and is able to stand his ground. That peace is like the spikes in the footwear and peace is what keeps you and I grounded and moving forward. It helps us no matter what we face. Another letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church uh, in Philippi, he says this in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's what it is. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's so powerful to think that more than our minds can fathom, more than our situations can understand. The peace of God is bigger than every single one of them. It transcends all understanding. So what are you anxious about? You see, the devil, the enemy wants us to be anxious and worried because it's here that we don't even realize, but he wants us to worry because that robs us of life. It robs us of our hope. It robs us of our peace. So what has you worrying? Is it a financial thing? Is it a relationship? Maybe something with your spouse, with your kids. Maybe your job is in a rough spot. Maybe just a friendship or a vehicle or something so practical as maybe your vehicle keeps breaking down and it's robbing your peace and wondering how you're going to be able to provide for your family. What's that thing that is bothering you, that is trying to rob your peace? 
Because see, here's the truth, and it's your next feeling here, is that the enemy wants you to dwell on the problem while God wants you to dwell on him. He knows that if we can get our eyes off of Jesus and onto our problem, we're going to keep focusing on that problem, and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Focus on me. Let me worry about the problem. You focus on me. And one of the coolest stories kind of that fits in with this is uh, we read in one of the Gospels where it talks about Peter and the disciples were on this boat, and the storm got crazy, the waves were huge, and they, they were just scared out of their minds. And off in the distance, they see this figure walking, and some thought it was a ghost because they had very little faith. But as the figure got closer, called out to Jesus and, Jesus, or, and Peter, and Peter knew it was Jesus calling him to come out to him. And what Peter did is he didn't focus on the wind. He didn't focus on the waves. He didn't focus on the craziness that was surrounding him. Instead, he focused on Jesus. He wasn't dwelling on the circumstances. He wasn't dwelling on the problem that he saw. He was focusing on Jesus. And that enabled him to take steps out on the water towards Jesus. But it's so cool is that the story doesn't end there because then it talks about how he took his eyes off Jesus and he started sinking. And sometimes we can all relate to that, right? We're like, yes, we're on our Jesus. And then we get distracted by something. And all of a sudden, we start sinking. But he knows the truth that the enemy knows if he can get us to take our eyes off Jesus and just focus on our problem, that the problem gets bigger, our peace goes away, and he has us right where he wants us. That's why Jesus says, dwell on me, focus on me. I'll take care of your problems, but focus on me. Paul says that when you bring your requests to God and leave all your cares with him, we can be freed to live life without worry. In the book of Romans, Paul writes this. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does God replace our worry with peace? Your next feeling here is that through prayer, we are reminded of his work on our behalf. Through prayer, we are reminded of his work on our behalf behalf. Like we read earlier, it's in his power. It's not in our power. It's not in our doing, but it's in his power, not ours. We simply put on the peace by going to him in prayer and talking it through and asking for his help. Remember, we're not working to attain these things. We're not working for peace. We're simply putting on his peace and asking him for help. Romans 16.20, Paul writes this. He says, the God of peace. I just love that title. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. That's why our feet are ready with the gospel of peace. Because if we can protect that peace, we protect ourselves. So set your security in the God who loves you and is with you. Our passage continues in verse 16. It says, in addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, Roman soldiers carried shields that were covered with heavy animal hide. Uh, very different from this looking metal shield, I think is what it is. Um, but use your imagination, animal hide. And before they prepare for battle, they would dip their shield in water. So that when the flaming arrows would come their way, the shield would actually extinguish the arrows as they were fired at them. So again, we see this imagery of how we can extinguish the attacks of the enemy by holding on to faith. And faith means more than just believing that God exists. But look at this, your next villain. Faith includes a firm belief 
that everything God does is truly for our good, and he will do what he promises. Everything God does is truly for our good, and he will do what he promises. This doesn't mean that every situation we face in life is good or is from God, but he is going to do what he promises in our lives, and he's going to be there with us whether we're in a good situation or a bad situation. And he will do what he promises to do. You see, this kind of faith acts like a shield and protects us from the enemy. And the writer of Hebrews defines faith this way in Hebrews 11.1. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. So my question for you is, what kind of things are you hoping for and you do not yet see? What's that thing that you're hoping for, that dream you have that you just do not yet see? What are the things out of your control that you hope work out for your good? What fear or doubt have you been dealing with? You see, one of the founding fathers of our faith, Abraham, dealt with this very thing. And Paul talks a little bit about his life here in Romans 4, starting with verse 18. And it says this, against all hope. It's a great way to start, right? <laughs> against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. So against all hope, Abraham, yet in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, God made a promise to Abraham that he'd become the father of many nations, and that his descendants would outnumber the stars. It happened, but in this moment, he didn't know it would happen. See, it was simply a hope. But he believed, even when anyone, everyone else said, look at the situation. All hope is lost. Let's just call it what it is. All hope is lost. And why was all hope lost? Because he was 100 years old. Okay, how am I going to be the father of nations? I'm 100 years old. I don't know how many 100-year-olds you see becoming new parents these days, okay? But pretty much zero. But verse 19, it says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. That's reassuring, all right? Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I mean, I don't you know, leave anything to the imagination there. He's old, her womb is dead. There's no way you're having kids. Yeah, the promise of God was this. He said, you'll be the father of many nations. The descendants will outnumber the stars. You see, there are facts about your situation that are true. And when you face them, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Facts are facts. Abraham was 100 years old. His wife's womb was dead. Shouldn't happen. See, there are things out of your control, and it seems to me that's how God likes it. He likes it when we finally admit that we can't do it our own. Say, God, it's out of our control. I can't do this because that's the exact moment that he wants us to turn to him. Like that song we sing, we're our sons and his daughters. The enemy tries to speak lies into our lives, but God says, no, you are my sons and your daughters. And that's the truth he wants us to live with. Your next film, the act of faith is trusting God for the things you can't control. Plain and simple. The act of faith is trusting God for the things that you and I simply can't control. And he likes us because then he can get the glory for the things in your life and it deepens your relationship with your Heavenly Father more and more. It gives him an opportunity to prove himself faithful to you. That's how we need to look at the circumstances we face that are out of our control that we don't understand and say, God, instead of me being worried, instead of me pulling away from you, how can I lean into you more and allow you to prove yourself faithful to me yet again? See, this is the point. It's the point of the journey. It's not the destination. 
So go ahead, yes, we face the facts because only God can do it anyway. So we just put our trust in him. It's so freeing when we can say, you know what? The facts are pretty rough, but I trust God. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. Verse 20 continues, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So why did he not waver? Is it because he was stronger than us, because his faith was so much greater than ours? No. He didn't waver because he had seen God do it before in his life. And his faith was put in a God who had proven himself to be faithful time and time again. You see, he was involved in battles he never should have won. Yet God told him he'd be victorious and God followed through on his promise. He looked back over at his life time after time. And through prayer and devotion, he saw God do extraordinary things in his life. And he thought to himself, I don't know how God is going to pull this off. But I know he's done it before. He's going to do it again. Verse 23 says, The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, catch this, but also for us. It wasn't just for Abraham, but it was also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him. Who Jesus raised the Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And you see, when you and I live with a kind of faith, that we bank on what God has done in the past, what he's going to do again. When we're facing things out of our control, when you trust a God who is in full control, remember, the enemy wants us to dwell on the problem, but Jesus wants us to dwell on him because he is in full control. He wants us to rest on his promises for you because when we do that, the enemy loses every single time. And it's really quite amazing to me to see how much faith and peace go together. I think that's very intentional why these things are placed where they are. Because as our faith is firm and rooted, peace follows those things. But when we're unsure, when we don't know where our faith lies, suddenly our peace starts to flee. And it becomes evasive and elusive. But when our faith foundation is firm and strong, it allows our peace to grow. You see, we see these things working together over and over again in Scripture. Jesus says to the woman who anoints his feet with expensive perfume, but who is crushed by her sin, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To the woman who was dying from an issue of blood, she pushed through the crowd just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and he says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus saying, yes, yeah, I know these things seem insurmountable in your life, but because you put your faith in me, you can live in peace. I love you, and I am in control. So sleep well, live well, find peace in me. Your last feeling here is that when you have faith that Jesus is enough, peace secures your life. When you have faith that Jesus is enough, peace secures your life. You see, the enemy hates when you arrive at that place in our spiritual journey because it means that his arrows of worry and fear can no longer rob you of the full life Jesus has for you. When we take up that shield of faith, when our feet are fitted with the gospel of peace, we're extinguishing the attacks of the enemy. Psalm 36.5 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Later in Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations, even ours. His faithfulness is for all of us. Every single one. 
You see, so many times I've seen the faithfulness of God through different areas of life, through different struggles, through different moments where I was unsure if he would come through again. But over and over again, God proves himself faithful. It's not always how we think. It's not always how we want. But looking back, it's saying, God, thank you for proving yourself faithful. Pastor John Piper uh, says something pretty fascinating. He says that God is always doing 10,000 things in our lives, but we are only aware of three of them. And I think it's so true because we get so focused on that one thing, that one issue, that one worry, that one heartache. God's working on that, but God is also working on so many other things that we have no idea about because he's a good father and he loves you. And he wants you to put your faith in him because he'll give you peace that is insurmountable and that you could never imagine. You see, faith in God to be more than enough leads us to this enormous amount of peaceful living. Because God is big enough. You might have a big problem, but God is bigger. You might be facing a big crisis, but God is bigger. He's big enough for whatever you're facing. And he's saying, don't dwell on that thing, dwell on me. And when you do that, I will fill you with peace. So trust him. Trust him. 